presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Uh, we're getting some some real buzz here going on. Is that, uh, is that just in our headphones or is that coming out over the air? Uh, it's probably going over the air. What do you think it is? You think it's this microphone? I don't know. It's gone now. All right. All right, good Game enough. on. All right, well, welcome to Spooky South Coast. As I said, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and we are here to talk with you about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And, uh, well, of course, we weren't here last week uh, because the Red Sox just couldn't give up. But uh, <laughs> they had to have that rain out you know, replay the, the makeup game on Saturday night at 9 o'clock. So that effectively pushed us right off the air. But that's okay because we're back and we're going to be here every week now. And uh, we're going to have a great time talking about the paranormal with you. And uh, tonight's going to be a little bit different because normally we talk about the paranormal. We we take for granted a lot of the things about it. We take for granted that, uh, you know, that it exists, that there's that it's there, and that there's... Uh, rationale behind it, we don't really take a step back and, and analyze the how and the why of how it could be. And those are some of my favorite shows when we do decide to take that step back. And tonight, we are going to be talking with Dr. T. Lee Bauman, M.D., and his book is called Matter to Mind to Consciousness, The Anatomy of the ELF. And uh, you can pick that book up if you go uh, and search for it online. And uh, we also have it linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. And you can find out exactly pretty much everything about the brain in this book. And I don't pretend to understand all of it, but uh, Lee's going to join us in just a little bit, and he's going to help us break it all down. And basically, we're going to find out what it is about the brain that allows the paranormal to happen. But I'm not saying what it is about the brain that allows us to think that the paranormal is happening. I'm talking about that makes it actually happen. So... We're going to get into all that and more with Lee. Also, we're going to talk to you more about Paranite 2010, which the tickets are available through PayPal. If you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, you can click right on the Paranite logo uh, at the top of the page, and you'll be able to purchase your tickets. Uh, for some reason, I can't figure this out, Matt Costa using PayPal, but for some reason, when you want to buy multiple tickets, you have to kind of go in and keep entering each one individually. Uh, it doesn't allow you to select multiple tickets. That's weird. I have no idea what I'm doing with that. So, And uh, also, if you wanted to buy VIP tickets and get a room at Lizzie Borden's, I highly recommend that you let me know uh, in the next few days because we're, we, we're going to have to put a cap on that soon. We actually have people outside of Paranite that want the rooms for that night. So we have to make sure that the Paranite people, if you want to get involved and get a room at Lizzie Borden's for October 20th, you need to let us know tonight. And uh, we'll have uh, all the information uh, about the rooms is up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. But uh, 265 for the third floor room, that includes two tickets to Paranite, and 315 for a second floor room, which also includes two tickets to Paranite. And those you don't want to use PayPal for. Those you want to email me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, and then we'll be able to uh, 
you know, accommodate you. And already we've we've booked the Knowlton room, which is the chimney room where the children ghosts are found and the toys move out of the chest and where Moniz's camera moved and where I had my legs lifted and all kinds of good stuff. So that room is gone. However, there are still plenty of rooms available if you want to get in on that. But Paranite itself, $45 a ticket. You can't go wrong. You're going to get a buffet dinner. Do we know what the menu is yet, Matt? Um, no. It's going to be okay. a surprise, I guess. All right, because uh, I did see that Jeannie put on her Facebook that it's going to be an awesome buffet, but she didn't give any hints as to what it'll be. So you'll get a buffet dinner. You get a cocktail hour with live entertainment, including the world premiere of the musical group EVP. <laughs> uh, it's, it's as... Uh, as Carl Wood put it, it's the uh, it's the one night only U.S. World Tour yeah. of EVP, so you don't want to miss that. And uh, also, we're going to have Jeff Belanger, author and founder of GhostVillage.com. He'll be talking about legend tripping. Robert Merch, Ouija historian and collector, will be showing off some of his collection and talking about the history of talking boards. And uh, then also, uh, I guess I'll be there too. <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, you know, with the uh being the um I I guess author now, I have to say, of Ghosts of the South Coast, which is now available in bookstores everywhere. And if you're local and you want to buy a copy, we have them here tonight. They are twenty dollars plus one dollar for tax. Uh, but I, I will be able to sign them for you personally and make Just come offer. up to the window and slap the 20 on the uh, window. <laughs> slap it up against the glass. We'll know that you're there. Uh, we'll, we'll also sell you Paranite tickets because uh, we do have the tickets here in the house. So if you want to get any of that stuff. And I just feel like we should get all this pimping out of the way first. You know, Of course, we'll probably definitely revisit it later on in the show as well. But uh, we just want to make sure that everybody knows that uh, they can they can come here and give us money. Yeah. So, there you go. Now, are, are the uh, Paranoid tickets going to be available at the door? Oh, you know, we, we need to figure that out because we, we really need to have a account for the buffet. Yeah. So, it wouldn't really be fair to to hold off and sell tickets at the door. Yeah. I'd, and, I'd, I'd feel bad turning people away yeah, at but, the door. And there, there have been people who have said, you know, can I can you put me down for a ticket and I'll pay you at the door? Uh, and, you know, for people that we know and trust, we've been able to do that. But basically, I mean, I would say that your best bet is to buy your tickets as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, by the end of this week, then you're guaranteed to, to get in. You're guaranteed to get some food. Otherwise, the rest of it, Moni's just going to eat. Yep. So he's not here tonight. He's filming 30-odd <laughs> minutes, which is, uh, you know, he's got his priorities straight. <laughs> so... <laughs> So if you would like to purchase the book or tickets while we're here tonight, you can do so right here at the Spooky Studios at 22 Sconnecott Neck Road in Fairhaven. Uh, but if not, you know you know how to get them online, too. So And also, there's plenty of book signings coming up. Uh, I'm basically going to be everywhere because I really need to sell this book. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, I've, I've, I'm trying to make sure There's that like I can... stacks of books at your house. Uh, oh, it's, it's, it's crazy. My it's son built a Ford out of them now, and... Kind of dangerous. We've actually. got we've got a stack holding up the couch. Oh. No, but uh, we, I wanted to make sure that we could hit you know various areas of the South Coast. So a lot of our listeners can't make it you know from you know Fall River say to Wareham. So we want to make sure that we hit every community. And uh, coming up uh, tomorrow and Monday, I will be at the Edaville Railroad Cranberry Festival in Carver. So if you go there and check out the awesome Cranberry Festival that they have every year, you'll see me in a little table out by the gift shop hawking my books. And uh, then coming up next Saturday, 
I will be at Collective Souls and a Cushionet from 3 to 5 p.m. Uh, you can come by and buy a signed copy of the book there, and you can also purchase a reading with Spooky South Coast regular Linda Lynch as well. She'll be there as part of a regular Saturday gig over at Collective Souls. Uh, then what else do we have coming up? Let's go to the calendar on SpookySouthCoast.com's Ghost of the South Coast site. If you go right to SpookySouthCoast.com, you'll see the the awesome site map put together for South Coast Ghosts. It's linked up right there on the front page. And then if you're not actually doing this while we're talking, so is Matt. And then you go to the events at the top, and you'll see what we have coming up on on uh, Wednesday. Actually, this Wednesday from 7 to 9, I'll be at Baker Books in Dartmouth. Uh, and then, again, the 16th at Collective Souls in Akushnet from 3 to 5. On uh, the 20th, we'll be selling books at Paranite. Uh, the 23rd, The Sea Witch in Fairhaven from 3 to 5 p.m. And on the 24th, Tyhone at Village Market in Wareham from 6 to 9 p.m. as part of their Haunted Bog Ride event. I'll be at the Old Company Store in Wareham at 1 p.m. on the 30th. And then on the 31st, this is the big one. Mark this one on your calendars because at the Fall River Historical Society from 12 noon until 2.30 p.m., we'll be signing the books. I'll be signing the books at the Fall River Historical Society. So you get a chance to come purchase the book and check out some of the cool stuff at the Fall River Historical Society as well on Halloween. So what a great way to start your your Christmas of the paranormal, as we like to call it. All right. Have I shilled myself enough? Um. Yeah, I think so. Okay, that'll do it. Why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will talk with our guest, T. Lee Bauman, the author of Matter to Mind to Consciousness. This is going to be uh, a fascinating discussion, and it's something that I really want the listeners to get involved with, whether it be calling in at one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty, or 508-996-0500, or you can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also... Uh, you jump into the chat room at Fate Radio. Just go to fatemag.com slash fate radio or click the Fate Radio link on spookysouthcoast.com to jump into the chat room there. And uh, we've got some, some of our friends in there. I want to say hello to Hilly Rose, who is uh, joining us tonight. And we've also got the Paranormal Pirate, Destination Truth, uh, and Craig is there as well. So come and join the fun. Uh, come and uh, interact with everybody. They always have some good discussions going on outside of the what we're talking about on the show too so all right why don't we take a break when we come back t lee bauman joins us we're going to talk about consciousness and what it has to do with the paranormal coming up on spooky south coast Lock the doors and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. Science advisor Matt Moniz is <clears throat> out in the field tonight, working for another show. But we'll we'll get into that later. <laughs> I was saying to Matt Costa off the air that we should tell everybody that it's a one week. He's on a one week suspension for his uh, for the way he arrived at the show two weeks ago. 
All right. Tonight's guest is T. Lee Bauman, MD. He's the author of Matter to Mind to Consciousness, The Anatomy of the ELF. And here's the book here. For those of you watching on Fate Radio, you can see it right there for yourself. And we have it linked up on SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to check it out. I, I can tell you, Lee, that uh, when you you did warn me ahead of time when when uh, when we first talked about having you on the show that the first half of the book is going to be very uh, technical in its description of the brain and how it works, and that I might have trouble. And I said, No, I'm not going to have any trouble. You know, I remember I learned about the brain when I was in college, and I'm I'm pretty sure I can handle it. And it did lose me. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, Tim. No, that's all right. It's, that's not you. That's the, my horrible education. I'm not sure. <laughs> but no, it was it was really great to to actually have the entire breakdown of how it works because without that, you're not going to understand a lot of what you're talking about in the second half of the book when you get into the real uh, minutia of what we're talking about here tonight, and that's consciousness. Yes. Now. Explain everybody a little bit uh, about your background, because I can tell you that from a paranormal perspective, and, and with our audience being who they are, it, usually when you announce somebody as being on the show as being a doctor, they assume that you mean like a doctor of parapsychology, or, you know, these these degrees that are bestowed upon that aren't from non-accredited universities, or or uh, the other doctors that we tend to have on are of the demento variety. <laughs> so, you know, when, when when we say that we actually have a, a medical doctor here, people will immediately wonder, well, what's a medical doctor doing talking about the paranormal? Exactly. Well, that's a great question, Tim. Uh, my my philosophy is that I my belief system has always been science or nothing. And so back when I was in the practice of medicine back in the mid-1970s, I was basically an atheist. I did not believe in God because science had directed me that there was no need for uh, God. And what I found was I developed an interest in Raymond Moody's uh, first book on the near-death experience called Life After Life. Uh, obviously, being a medical doctor, I was resuscitating patients, and you did wonder what was going on you know, during the resuscitative uh, procedure. Also, at about the same time, I developed an interest in Einstein, uh, specifically his special theory of relativity, where if you could travel at the speed of light, time was known to stop. And I found something always very supernatural or almost paranormal about that, and there were many ramifications because of that concept. So to put, uh, to make a long story short, 30 years later I found myself a believer in God because of science. So things had come full circle for me. Uh, within the last several years, I also became aware that technologies which had begun in the 1960s had now revealed that our brains emitted electromagnetic radiation. So combining my love of uh, light, uh, the, the things I had learned through the near-death experience and Einstein's uh, theories of relativity, it, it was just a, a good fit, the fact that if our brains were emitting radio waves, a lot of various items began to fall together, and 
I felt that was a great explanation for many things that we had called paranormal up up to the present time. Things like mental telepathy, perhaps, uh, deja vu, uh, the collective unconscious, and it goes on and on. So uh, that was how I became interested in this particular research, and hence the, the book came about. So now what has been the reaction from colleagues uh, in the medical field uh, to you equating uh, certain things within the brain to the idea of the paranormal? Yes, well, actually my first impression when I began writing was that I'd uh, basically be blacklisted and ostracized from my colleagues, uh, and I, I was quite pleasantly surprised to find that the reverse was true. Uh, my colleagues were actually inviting me out to lunch so they could discuss my concepts and theories and whatnot, and I found quite to my surprise that it was well-received. I've had a lot of positive feedback uh, through the Internet and email, so uh, quite quite the opposite of what I expected has occurred. So it's been a very pleasant experience. And I, I think you'll tend to find, too, that when you do become known as the, the person who delves into the paranormal within your own field, uh, you'll get a lot of people that want to come up and talk to you one-on-one about questions that they have, you know, and, and to, to be able to listen to a colleague explain it to them is probably going to do far better to help their understanding of it than it is to have them read a book or, or listen to a radio show like this because they can kind of question you directly and they can see why, if you believe it and you're coming from the same field they are, well, why it's understandable for them to believe it. Exactly. Uh, I, I give talks basically around the world uh, dealing with my books and my research I love, I just love it when people uh, from the audience will come up afterwards and tell me their personal stories because I find them as enlightening as uh, the first time I've read about such uh, stories. So it's, uh, I, I pinch myself every morning that I'm in this particular field now because I enjoy it so much and I'm so energized by it. And it's, it's always good for us crazy people in the paranormal field to say, hey, look, we've got a doctor on our side. Well, and I, I am definitely a part of you at this point because uh, years ago when I was a skeptic in all of this type of stuff, uh, I now have really come about 180 degrees because I, you have to be open-minded with these type of things or you're going to lose uh, perspective and you're going to lose uh, learning about so many things. So you really have to keep an open mind. Now, you mentioned that you've, you've experienced, uh, well, you've dealt with people who'd had a lot of near-death experiences, and I'm assuming that a lot of the reports are similar to what we have heard of this light at the end of the tunnel, you know, the, the even sometimes as far as the loved ones uh, kind of welcoming you or telling you to go back, one of those things. Uh, did you see a lot of these classic signs that we see associated with NDEs? I actually did not see any in my practice, which I find uh, somewhat disappointing. Uh, it wasn't until basically as I was uh, getting into more the administrative part of medicine, which I did in my later years, that I really began to talk to people as I was going around lecturing and hearing their stories about near-death and near-death visions and being visited by deceased loved ones uh, before uh, their own relatives uh, were to die. 
you know, the, the stories where just before a relative was to die, they'd be visited by deceased relatives saying, hey, we're getting, you know, we're looking forward to meeting you on the other side mm-hmm. and that type of thing. And it's, it's, uh, it is a great experience being able to share such intimate experiences with people. See, I mean, I think that for the most part, when if there are, you know, and many people believe it, I'm not sure I do yet, I'm still working on it, but when you have a soul and these souls uh, pass out of our bodies and it would only make sense that these souls of other loved ones would be there to welcome you, I, I tend to wonder, though, if a lot of these NDEs that we hear about are really just the equivalent of somebody turning off the TV. You know the old TVs that had the tubes and you'd turn them off and the picture would kind of shrink a little bit and sure. then get that little hole? I kind of just wonder if it's that uh, our own consciousness kind of closing down and then sometimes, oh, whoops, I want to watch some more of that show and you'll turn yeah. it back on in time. I- exactly. And, Tim, I can identify so well with your own feelings because I was the ultimate skeptic. Uh, when I wrote my first book, before I put anything on paper, I basically looked into the same questions that you're asking now. I asked myself, because I had heard the arguments, I asked myself, well, how many of these near-death experiences might be the result of drugs in the system uh, from resuscitation or otherwise? How many might be the result of uh, just poor circulation prior to death or uh, low oxygen supplies? Uh, how many were re-experiencing the, the birth event, you know, going through the vagina and having that be the tunnel and the light at the end. I mean, I have heard every every explanation uh, for why people might experience near death. And I actually have two responses to that. And the first is that when when people undergo general anesthesia and you know, whether you or any of your listeners have, have undergone that, uh, they can certainly ask those that have. But when you undergo general anesthesia, do you see light or do you see darkness? And I think just about 100% of people are going to say, you know, they saw darkness. They mm-hmm. didn't see light. So certainly a lot of the events that are similar in relation to general anesthesia do not appear to explain it. And the... Uh, second part of uh, the near-death experience is the fact that so many people who have undergone near-death have had experiences, out-of-body experiences, where they've been actually even miles away from the uh, event, and when they've detailed what they've seen, those events have been corroborated. Uh, now, from the aspect of, you know, other things that might have caused near death, I actually, before I wrote my first book, I actually removed all the cases where people had received drugs, either before uh, the cardiopulmonary resuscitation or even during it. I re- removed those people who had uh, cases of low blood pressure uh, where blood flow was, was a potential explanation where oxygen deprivation was an explanation. And there are so many cases where people were either in the emergency room with electrocardiogram uh, 
you know, on their chest being monitored or with, where they were in the intensive care unit being monitored. And as soon as their heart stopped, they were jumped on immediately and resuscitation was started. I can vouch for cases where when I was performing resuscitations, uh, chest compressions are so effective that I actually had patients where when you were doing the chest compressions, they were somewhat alert and combative. Uh, they, they knew something horrible was going on. And if you stop the compressions to, say, check a, a pulse, uh, suddenly they, they would just go out. They, they would become unconscious. So I, I found that when you examined the cases of people where you could really not use drugs or oxygen deprivation and the like as an excuse for near death, you were still finding they had all the same elements. They went through the tunnel. They saw the light. They were met by deceased loved ones, even even some of their you know past pets. Uh, so I, as a researcher and a, a diehard skeptic at the time, I found that, uh, at least to my satisfaction, that uh, those arguments really held no validity, at least to me. Well, I mean, also, though, it could be a matter of uh, when we have this traumatic experience that we th- we think in our minds that we're dying, you know, maybe it's we've become trained to have our life flash before our eyes, to, to expect to see loved ones waiting for us. And the only way we can really know if an NDE is really that close to, to death is to actually go through the death process ourselves. And so far, nobody's really come back and told us the whole trip what the whole trip's about. Well, well that's true. And I, and I think for uh, people with those type of arguments, I would refer them to the corroborative evidence where uh, people have you know, been in the morgue for three days and have traveled to visit... Uh, their neighbors who were miles away and were able to tell stories of what they were doing and what was happening, you know, at great distances. And those uh, stories and observations have been corroborated. I just don't feel those type of things could have been made up. No, I mean, and and the more you um, research into it, like you said earlier in the show, you know, science led to your belief in God and that might have been the first time I've ever heard anybody put it in that order. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it, it still surprises me uh, because I was a vouch believer in the scientific method, and everything in the 1970s was pointing to the fact there's no God, there's no need for a God, and here I am today, I give lectures on why science supports uh, the existence of a higher power. It, to me, though, the more you explore through science and the more you see how perfectly everything has come to be, the more it has to have some kind of intelligent design to it. Well, I'll tell you, Tim, when when I got into exploring the quantum physical traits of light, L-I-G-H-T, physical light, you know, light is probably the main element that transforms people in the near-death experiences. In every religious text around the world, the deities are always described in terms of light. And for Christians and uh, Jews, uh, it's the same thing. Christ, of course, well known for saying, I am the light of the world. Uh, and in quantum physics, light is described by the same terms that we have always used to describe God. Terms like being uh, omnipresent or everywhere, 
omniscient or all-knowing, omnipotent. Uh, physicists have even applied the adjective conscious to physical light. And it's when you begin really getting into the details of uh, physical light at the quantum level, it's supernatural, just like uh, our belief in God. And, I mean, light is one of those things that we associate with good. You know, we associate it with so many positive things that, uh, you know, it does almost have that godlike, I guess, definition to it. Well, it does, and I think most of us, as we were growing up, were taught in uh, whether it was the Old Testament or New Testament or whatever uh, the Quran, you know, whatever sacred text we used, we were taught that these were metaphors. Mm-hmm. Anymore, I do not believe they're metaphors. I believe science is pointing to the fact that they may well be literal and that God, if not, if he is not light, he certainly is intimately associated with light. Has there been any kind of uh, argument made from any religious groups, any particular churches or belief systems uh, in regards to your research? Because, you know, we, we worry about when a doctor decides to discuss the paranormal, but I think the people of the religious, uh, you know, people in the business of religion, you could say, I think they worry even more when people that are rooted in science start talking about, about their business. Exactly. That was one of my greatest fears when I published my first book. In fact, not only was I afraid of how uh, the churches and my colleagues would react to it, but I, I had my own self-doubts. You know, what? how would God treat someone if he thought I, what I was publishing and what I was lecturing about was blasphemy or heresy? You know, was I basically ostracizing myself from God? And, and that was a great concern. Over time, however, I have been, I've really been overwhelmed with how well it, it has been received. Even my own pastor had me over uh, to, you know, talk about my research before uh, the Sunday school. I've given actual sermons and churches. So I've, I've been actually quite startled at how well many churches and people of faith have uh, have received my work. And I do think that uh, it's one of those fundamental lines, I guess, that you, you can just say science or spirituality. You know, there's so little opportunity to blend the two together when really one can't exist without the other. Well, that is how I feel. I, I feel my research is complementary to all religions. I don't feel it's something that is to replace any religion but I feel it's very complementary. Uh, every religious text talks about God in terms of light, and all I'm really saying is that science supports that. So uh, I feel it's, it's complementary, and uh, usually it's been well-received. Now, at what point, though, do you start to, to analyze the human brain and realize that there's uh, physical properties within this just marvelous mechanism uh, that can kind of lead into this idea of something beyond ourselves. Exactly. Well, what, uh, I was shocked when I first learned that researchers had actually detected that our 
brains emitted radio waves. As it turns out, and I don't think you'd be surprised to hear this, but they're in the same frequency and are basically identical to the electroencephalograms that people have when they're uh, diagnosed with seizures. So the EEG is basically the same frequency as the radio waves that we're emitting. The story behind this is, is rather interesting because our brain waves, as you might think, are so weak compared to many of the electrical waves around us that it took years before they were able to isolate the human body enough with uh, various rooms with metal uh, sheeting to block out the uh, background radio waves coming from outer space, coming from the earth, to be able to measure our weak uh, brain waves. What, what the researchers also found that was rather intriguing is that our brain waves are in the uh, spectrum known as ELF, ELF, which I have as part of the title of the book. And ELF stands for extremely low frequency waves, which happen to be the frequencies of our EEG waves. So that fits in nicely. What uh, the researchers found was these incredibly weak brain waves can actually be emitted into our atmosphere and linger for a significant period of time. The reason for that is because of a phenomenon, which again has only been recently uh, documented, known as Schumann resonances. And the story behind it is that all these lightning strikes that go on around the globe occur at about a rate of 100 per second. So lightning is always going on around the Earth. It turns out that the frequencies made by these lightning strikes are within this ELF range, very, you know, very similar to our own brain waves. These lightning strike waves basically resonate between the Earth and a part of the atmosphere known as the ionosphere. And again, the technical details aren't important, but what is important is the fact that uh, this, this gap between the Earth and the atmosphere is at just the right length that any type of wavelengths, whether it be from lightning strikes or our brains, become reinforced and can actually last quite a long length of time before they dissipate into outer space. So there's just a whole host of, whether you want to call them accidents or various uh, scientific phenomenon, which allow our infinitesimally weak brain waves to go into outer space and, and exist for long enough that it would lend uh, credence to things like mental telepathy and other paranormal events. So there's just a whole host of intriguing stories behind how uh, how they found that our brains emitted radio waves. Really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're coming up on a on a break here for the news in about three minutes. So I want to give people, especially the paranormal investigators that are out there in the audience, a few minutes during the news to kind of mull that idea over that you know that these ELF waves are going out there and and holding out there. And we always say that. 
a ghost is something that just holds uh, holds its identity, holds its energy in one particular form uh, for an extended period of time. So, you know, people can consider that and think that over because in the second hour, I really want to get into the idea of uh, how these different paranormal phenomena that we look at uh, directly relate to the idea of brainwaves. And I know that people that I see all the time that I interact with, they give off a vibe. Yes. And a vibe doesn't have to just be, you know, a look or anything like that. It can just be being in their presence. Yes, absolutely. And, and so you think that that's definitely the same type of thing, these ELF waves are, are similar to the vibe that a person gives off? I think it could well be. And now we have a scientific uh, explanation for it. So it, now that if we can explain that, does that mean we could find a way to make those vibes go away? Because some people just creep me out. That That is a real excellent question because... Uh, Look at mental illness. You know, these people are not able to filter out the bad from the good. Mm-hmm. Could it be the same thing? Maybe. Well, uh, like I said, I definitely want to get into a lot of this stuff in the second hour. And if you have any questions out there, the numbers are one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. If you want to call in toll free, they're also five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. If you're local, we do have the chat room up and running at fatemag.com slash fateradio, where you can just click on the uh, link on spookysouthcoast.com as well. And they've already got a discussion going on there. And there's going to be some questions, Lee, later on that we're going to have to ask from the chat room because they're, they're already going off on the topic. And, uh, and as usual, you know, there's always great topics going on in there. That would be great. And also, if anybody wants to email a question, if you don't feel comfortable asking it and you can't log in, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. The name of the book, again, is Matter to Mind to Consciousness, Anatomy of the ELF. It's T. Lee Bauman is the author, and it's right there, and it's available on SpookySouthCoast.com. So go order it now during the break, and we'll be right back in just a little bit with more coming up after the news. We'll also have some more information on Paranite, and I'll, re- I'll go down some of those book signings again for Ghosts of the South Coast. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast. That's a good show, man. You know what? I got a theory about your show. You guys got no idea what's going on. Well, excuse me for having enormous flaws that I don't work on. Spooky South Coast is back. The key to the whole thing is to think as a child. And for me, that comes very easy. I can't I'm not afraid. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. All right, welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor. Matt Moniz is out working on 30-odd minutes tonight. And he's also investigating, too. So he is uh, out in a very special location that has an event coming up. And uh, we're going to try and save the last five minutes of the show 
so that we can talk to Moniz and find out more about that event. Uh, also, when I went down the list of book signings, uh, I forgot to mention that in addition to this Wednesday at Baker Books and this Saturday at Collective Souls, also on Monday, October 18th at 7 p.m. at the Wareham Historical Society on 495 Main Street in Wareham, uh, there's actually going to be a little paranormal night happening there as well. I'm going to be there signing copies of Ghosts of the South Coast, uh, but also Carl Wood from pa- uh, Phantom Paranormal. He's going to be there uh, putting on a presentation along with Eric Lavoie from DART. Mike Markowitz is going to be there. Uh, Matt Moniz is going to be there. We're hoping that Matt Costa will make an appearance. Uh, but it's going to be uh, basically the the paranormal heart and soul of the area will be uh, at the Wareham Historical Society on Monday, October 18th at 7 p.m., so come on by. That's going to be a free event, uh, so you know you don't have to spend any money to get in, so you can use that money to buy a copy of Ghost of the South Coast, right, Matt Costa? Exactly. There you go. So there you have it. Uh, that's in addition to, the uh, again, the upcoming Wednesday at Baker Books at 7 p.m. and uh, Saturday at Collective Souls at 3 p.m. in Acushnet. So, And, of course, uh, tomorrow and Sunday at the Edaville Royal Old Cranberry festival so there i plugged myself enough for now except for paranite i can always keep plugging paranite even more because we need people to to spread the spooky word and, and get all their friends that don't believe in the paranormal all their friends that are skeptical all their friends that keep saying i need to see more proof that's the people that we want to get into paranite 2010 coming up on wednesday october 20th at the water street cafe in fall river right down there in battleship cove because you're going to hear jeff belanger speak you're going to hear Robert Murch speak and see some of his Ouija boards in action, and I'll give a presentation on Ghosts of the South Coast as well. There's going to be so many investigators there. I already know that so many investigators are going to be there. There's going to be mediums there. There's going to be uh, you know, people who are well-versed in the paranormal and have lots of experience in investigating the paranormal. So for those of you who aren't sure if you buy into it yet, for those of you who are looking to get into the field, for those of you that just want to go and have a good time, this is the event, Paranite 2010. Tickets are $45 each. They're available on SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also purchase VIP packages, which include a room at Lizzie Board and Bed and Breakfast. And as part of that deal, uh, at 10 o'clock once or 10.30, whenever the uh, lectures wrap up, you will be going over to the Lizzie Borden house with Matt Moniz for a special investigation of the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast uh, that's only going to be reserved for the VIPs that night. So it's... Uh, it's going to be kind of a unique thing. Again, you know, it's happening on a weeknight, mainly because there's other Halloween-related stuff already going on. We don't want to pull you away from, you know, your normal every every year routine. So we want to make sure that people get a chance to experience the paranormal on the South Coast firsthand and have it not uh, interact. And, you know, we're already in preliminary discussions to try to get uh, Hilly, I mean, Chris Balzano to Paranite next year, too. So there you have it. All right, that takes care of the shameless self-plugs. And now let's get back into the discussion about Matter to Mind to Consciousness, Anatomy of the ELF by Dr. T. Lee Bauman. The book is available on SpookySouthCoast.com, and uh, you can also get it through Amazon, wherever you get books. And we're discussing the idea of consciousness and the brain and the idea of the paranormal being pretty much right alongside a lot of these things. And... Lee, we we were talking before uh, we took the break about the idea of light, the idea of all this stuff being just interconnected. The one question that I have uh, about 
all of this, I don't know, greater than us um, phenomena, greater than us belief, how does that play into a lot of the diagnoses that a, a doctor might give if you realize that we're connected? Does that kind of change the diagnoses for things? Because mental illness, especially being one of them, if we know that our brains are open to these possibilities, how do we look at somebody who says that they talk to God? How do we look at somebody who says that they they see spirits that are out there if it turns out that it is all intertwined? Great question, Tim. And, you know, this is the question that so many of us pose to clairvoyance over the last uh, lifetimes is, are these people for real? Are they quacks? You know, what are these people doing? And so suddenly now, even though we may not have the answer with the emphasized, but we do have an explanation. Uh, something that I think we all need to do when we see people who are mentally ill and they're talking to Aunt Mary or Uncle Joe who died 10 years ago, or you have a clairvoyant who's you know, seeing uh, visions or seeing dead people, we need to keep an open mind. Uh, I don't think all of them are for real necessarily, but I think at least the ones that I have witnessed and that I have dealt with, there has certainly been moments when I thought they were the real deal, and I still do. Uh, we have Edgar Casey, who is probably the greatest uh, clairvoyant known in the States, and I've done personally a lot of research with his readings, and I think he was the real deal. Uh, I've seen and talked to others, and I think you know there are many uh, valid instances of true clairvoyance, uh, people who have been labeled as mentally ill, who when they were talking to dead people, I got shivers up my spine because I wasn't so sure that they weren't talking to dead people. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter now of whether we're uh, doctors or PhDs or, you know, what, what type of training we've had. I think we just need to keep open minds that science is now offering explanations for these things. And perhaps uh, some of these paranormal events are for real and that these people may be more in touch with the true reality around us than those of us that uh, don't experience those phenomena. So that's that's my own personal bias. Well, you, you mentioned the idea of clairvoyance, and, and one of the things that was fascinating about your book is, I mean, to me, not being somebody who is a huge believer in the idea of, uh, you know, the... I do believe that there are people out there who do have psychic abilities. I don't believe that it's uh, as widespread as as it would seem by the amount of people who are offering those services. Right. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I have worked with a number that I did find to be absolutely legit. And you actually explain, at least give a, a plausible theory, as to why that might actually occur. And it actually is in the physical makeup of the brain. Yes, and, and that's what really surprised me. I've, I've always wondered about clairvoyance in the past and, you know, people who uh, are able to experience mental telepathy, and certainly not everyone can. There are just 
so many different forms of uh, paranormality that this offers an explanation for. Uh, the fact that medicine and science is even offering such an, such an explanation to us now, I just find so fascinating because we, we've had nothing like it before. Uh, a corollary to that, which still sends, uh, shivers up my spine, is the possible realization that this type of research has brought out that our thoughts are not our own. Our thoughts may not be private like we think they are. They may well be going out into outer space with the capability of being intercepted or read by others, whether it be spirits or whether it be other human beings who are still alive. Uh, the fact is that, you know, if, if we get bad thoughts, I used to think they were private, and I used to think, man, I can think whatever I want, and no one's ever going to know. Mm -hmm. I no longer believe that now. If, if I get a bad thought, I quickly dismiss it as quickly as I can, uh, because you don't know if it's being passed on or not. Well, we say that, you know, like a, a negative person puts out negative, you know, negative waves, and, and we say that, a, you know, a person who... Uh, you know, is unhappy, you know, it can kind of rub off on other people being, un, you know, make other people unhappy to be around them. Yes. And, you know, of course, the whole idea of the phenomenon of psychic vampires, you know, the fact that these people can, eat, you know, drain your energy uh, just by being in their presence. So it, it does seem to be on both the the medical and the scientific side to have an explanation as to why it can happen. And we do have that uh correlation story on the other side coming from the paranormal field. Yes, I, I, I agree completely. Now, you know, my wife is a positive energy person. She, uh, she's an extrovert, and when she interacts with other people, she gets energy from that type of interaction. Now, I love to interact with other people, but I've got to tell you, it, it drains me. <laughs> and... Uh, so you have to wonder, you know, people who are introverts, people who are extroverts, perhaps they're related in some way to, uh, like you talk about, uh, psychic vampires or whatnot, uh, people who are able to actually get energy from various type of vibrations or, or uh, radio waves that are out there in our environment. We're, we're learning as you speak. We, we, we were discussing in the first hour of the show the idea of this ELF and the fact that we are putting out these low-frequency waves and that they are going out there into the general ether, as, as we say, kind of on the paranormal side yeah. of things. And that, as we said, can account for a lot of paranormal activity. It also could account for a lot of the, quote-unquote, scientific data that proves paranormal activity. You know, when we go into a haunted house with an, an EMF detector... You know, we're, we're measuring the electromagnetic field and these supposed spikes uh, that happen in the field are supposedly indicating the presence of a spirit. And I've kind of gone the other way with it. I think more and more that I wonder if it's the people themselves that are somehow uh, sending that out. And basically they say, well, no, people can't affect the electromagnetic field like that. And now we know otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so science would, would lead us. I... I do think that as this research goes on, uh, much like fingerprints and retinal scans and whatnot, we ought to be able to start separating the electromagnetic frequency uh, 
emissions from various different people, you know, and be able to determine whose emissions, uh, whose uh, radio frequencies that we're picking up. And that would certainly be a real boon to your uh, your field and your specialty. And it really would account for a lot of these mysterious spikes that happen. You know, once everybody gets excited and then you get the spike and then, you know, it kind of goes back and forth and hand in hand. Oh, it would make so much sense, yes. And it also... I mean, I guess you could, you, you talked in the first hour about explaining the idea of mental telepathy uh, with these waves, but I, I do think that this could also be applied to the idea of a ghost, uh, because if these waves do exist, and there's enough of them that exist kind of in the same general place and time as one another, you are retaining that form of whatever that consciousness was. Exactly. You know, keep in mind that in the realm of physics, when you're talking any type of electromagnetic frequency or electromagnetic radiation, you're basically talking light. To physicists, any form of light is a form of electromagnetic radiation. Typically, we think of light as only visible light, but there are all the non-visible forms of light, which include microwave radiation and gamma rays and X-rays and radio and TV waves, and it goes on and on. So, uh, you know, everything that pertains to light also pertains to electromagnetic frequencies. And again, as, as I alluded to briefly earlier, the fact that quantum physicists basically use adjectives to describe light and electromagnetic radiation in the same terms that we've always used to describe God. In fact, I call them the three omnis, uh, being omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence, because they pertain not only to descriptions of God, but to uh, the radio frequencies that surround us every second. And you have a great detailed explanation in the book about the, uh, the open-ended neurons that exist within the cerebral cortex, and the idea that it basically turns us into uh, an antenna for, the, for this electromagnetic field and that we can put out all these signals. But, of course, uh, a radio antenna not only can be something that pr- puts out signals but also brings in signals. Exactly. So, I mean, how much of this are we pulling into ourselves? And at that point, you know, everything becomes conjecture because then you're talking subjective observations and Mm -hmm. subjective inputs from humans, and it's not as reliable as the hard scientific data that you're able to measure from something coming out into scientific instruments. So that that does become um, more difficult when you have to rely upon subjective interpretations by humans. We're we're just not as good as uh, scientific hardware at least at this point. But, I mean, that could account for a lot of these uh, the psychic abilities. Uh, it could account for people who say that they are, uh, quote-unquote, ghost magnets. Yes. You know, where spirits are drawn to them. People who just get feelings, who think about somebody, and then the phone rings and it's that person on the phone. Absolutely. In fact, I, I definitely believe that we are receiving those type of uh, feedbacks or radio input whether it be from spirits or uh, other people. Uh, we, we now have an explanation for a lot of these things, and uh, it's, it's just great. I, the research is still exploding, 
you know, within the current uh, environment. So, and, and the fact that we're getting at least the beginning steps of people in the science field that are willing to admit the existence of the paranormal uh, and not really scoff at it and turn to blind eye as they might have in the past. It really is. As I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed at how receptive uh, not only my own colleagues have been, but other uh, actually physicists come up to me and have attended my lectures. So it, it's the whole range of whether it just be your average Joe off the street or scholars or university professors, they have all seemed to be very receptive to this. So it's good to see that people are becoming more flexible in their beliefs, more open-minded, and more receptive to these type of uh, possibilities. And it means that uh, the people who are in the field are doing the the right thing and, and not seeming like a bunch of nut jobs running around in haunted houses anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well, if anybody has any questions out there and you want to call in, one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. 508-996-0500, email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can jump in the chat room uh, at Fate Radio through the SpookySouthCoast.com website as well. And one question that did come up earlier is uh, this person was wondering if you think there can be a connection between elderly and children having higher levels of paranormal experiences. It seems like these people who are on the opposite ends of you know the age spectrum uh, seem to be more susceptible to paranormal Experience, is there anything within the brain chemistry or within the brain's development, maybe eventual erosion, that would lead into that? I, I, I think there, there is a reason for why that could be possible. I think as children, they're very innocent. They're more receptive. Uh, they haven't been manipulated by adults uh, who have been telling them for decades that, you know, there are no such thing as ghosts for instance, and they don't know any better. Uh, they're unbiased, and so they're, they tend to be more receptive toward these type of phenomena than most adults. The same holds true at the opposite end as we get older. Uh, unfortunately, it's for the wrong reason, and that is our, you know, our brains have deteriorated to such an extent that that's why... Uh, we're, we're no longer biased at in the elder ages, but but it's very similar to that of the child. It's we're more receptive, uh, we're more willing to respond and believe in uh, in ghosts, say for as an instance. So uh, we're not blocking out the possibilities that we do as as adults. Mm-hmm. Well. I also think, too, that uh, uh, if you are wired, you know, not physically wired, but, you know, wired in your in your development and your nurture uh, to be a more open-minded person, I guess it just naturally would go hand-in-hand hand with not being able to, to shut anything down. Um, and I think so many times people don't realize that they might grow up in a closed-minded household uh, where, you know, ghosts were never discussed, but... Your parents were not very open-minded to other things, and even though you know you can't ever say, well, they they never told me ghosts didn't exist. You still grew up in an environment where it didn't seem like it was possible to to have that type of thing exist. Well, well, well that's a great observation, Tim. I mean, I probably grew up in as uh, close-minded uh, an instance uh, childhood as what you've just described or suggested, 
at least we do know that uh, through education and training that uh, these type of biases can be reversed. Uh, now, I, I, I consider myself very open-minded, but yet I also consider myself psychically deprived. So unfortunately, just being open-minded for me has not allowed me to be more receptive to psychic phenomena uh, because I, I can only note one instance uh, probably 30 years ago where I saw a ghost in the middle of the night uh, after several seconds, it did disappear, but just as it disappeared, my wife screamed in the bed next to me. And I said, Brenda, what's, what's going on? She had just had a nightmare and had been chased by an apparition that looked identical to the ghost I had just seen. Wow. So that was my lifetime, you know, psychic experience right there. I've never experienced anything uh, since that time, even though I consider myself very open-minded, and I've actually made attempts to connect with any type of psychic phenomenon. I've just not been successful. I think that may just well be my lot in life to be able to only relate scientifically uh, instances to explain the paranormal without actually being able to experience it. So it's my loss, but, uh, but, but yes, I, at least I do feel that being brought up you know, in a closed-minded environment can be reversed. Well, it's interesting, and if you don't want to get into any more detail, that's, uh, I understand that too, but you mentioned that incident with your wife and her dream. What is your correlation between the two? Do you, do you think that your, that the spirit present that you saw was impacting her dream, or is it possible that her dream, if we are these antennas, was actually putting out the image to your, to your observation? Tim, I think either one would be a valid explanation. I'm hoping that someday in the future we'll have enough knowledge and uh, research potential to be able to identify which came first, the chicken or the egg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right now, I do feel at least there was a cause and effect relationship. I just don't know which way it was going. I mean, it's, I, I can tell you that uh, even being in the same room where one person has experienced phenomena and then somebody else is not, you know, it's it's amazing to me when that happens because... I think that to some degree um, we are the antennas that are allowing it to happen. So how is it that if we're powering it, you know, same thing with a radio signal. If there's a power source for it, everybody can hear it. Exactly. <laughs> so how come exactly. it doesn't work that way with the paranormal? Exactly. I could not agree more. Now, it, we we had mentioned the idea of uh, children and uh, and the elderly and, and the the way that their brains are. Uh, is there anything within the, the makeup of the brain that uh, we can relate to? Uh, maybe the research just hasn't been done, but uh, is there anything different about the brain of somebody who claims to have clairvoyancy, who claims to have psychic or, or mediumship abilities? Have we noticed anything physically abnormal or physically different in how their brains are constructed? Great question, Tim. Uh, to my knowledge, there have been found no differences. Okay. Uh, now, some interesting studies on a on a sideline uh, regarding you know such observations is the fact that if if 
humans are separated from all type of this radio feedback that's in our environment. What we have noticed is that our biorhythms, our biocycles, basically get all fouled up. People who are removed from the background radiation are found that they can't sleep at night, they lose track of time, uh, and it's, it's really a phenomenon that has been difficult to explain until we were able to identify these ELF wavelengths. Now, one researcher at the University of Munich by the name of uh, Dr. Rutger Weaver back in the 1970s found that if these people were isolated from all of these background radiations or background radio waves, and they instilled artificial waves at uh, various ELF wavelengths that it restored these biorhythms to these human subjects. So we are gaining all sorts of uh, interesting scientific data as to the validity of these waves, how our bodies respond to them. Uh, so it's, it's becoming interesting. We, we definitely are going in the right direction. Well, the one question I've always wanted to ask somebody that actually has an understanding of the brain and how it works is we always hear these statements, uh, and especially in the paranormal field when people are trying to discuss these abilities, is we hear people say, well, human beings only use fill-in-the-blank number percent of their brain. Yes. And is there a certain percentage that we are only utilizing? I mean, obviously it's going to differ from person to person, but generally speaking, is there just are we in such a limited capacity of what the brain's capable of? I have heard such figures as well, and they've, I've, you know, it's like anything else in medicine. You can give probably five different uh, quotes, and they're all wildly different. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I do not really have any firm uh, belief in how much of the brain we are actually using. I think it's it's like the appendix. I think it's like the tonsils, where Ages ago, we were always told there's there's no function for the appendix other than it becomes inflamed in certain individuals and has to be removed, and the same thing for tonsils. But yet, I think that we are using even parts of the brain that uh, we don't think we're using, whether they're acting as radiant antennas emitting radio waves or perhaps even re you know acting as incoming antennas uh, for incoming radio waves, I think we're probably using a much greater percentage of the brain than what we've been aware of in the past. Uh, so I, I would equate it much to the appendix and the tonsils that uh, even though we didn't think we were using parts of it, they indeed do have a function. Well, I mean, like the appendix and the tonsils, you know, those, those aside... Uh, there are very few instances, really, in our bodies where there's wasted space, where there's wasted exactly. use of something. So it just makes me think that it, it, it wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't all for form and function. That, that is my belief as well. Of course, I'd like to think that I might someday develop uh, some sort of abilities, but for now I guess I have to just uh, hope that I can at least use what limited 
capacity of my brain that I normally use and use it to full effect because sometimes, uh, I think, sometimes I think that's, that's not the, the case. I hope for all of us. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I consider myself a health nut. I watch what I eat. I try to keep the same weight. And a lot of my relatives have even told me what a health nut I am. I have to admit, with all the Alzheimer's uh, articles and uh, soundboards that we're listening to here over the last several decades, I I have to question whether I'm not just setting myself up for uh, a very poor quality of life when I'm going to be alive in my last few years without much brain function. Uh, so you just never know. You, you can just hope for the best and go with the knowledge that you have and hope, hope that someone's watching over you. Another thing that comes up uh, quite a bit in the paranormal field is these poltergeists. Uh, and if, uh, for anybody not familiar, you know, generally speaking, uh, poltergeist is activity that is not necessarily uh, associated with a spirit of a deceased person. And uh, a lot of the later half of the uh, 20th century, the research went toward poltergeist activity being the result of uh, psychokinetic activity surrounding usually a prepubescent person, uh, especially females. And if we are these antennas and there, you know, there is this, uh, this force being put out from us, is there anything about that prepubescent female or even a male that might be a reason why at that particular time they have these increased psychokinetic powers? I think the obvious answer would, would have to lie with hormones. Obviously, that's the time when our hormones are fluctuating wildly and uh, women and men are developing a lot of their sexual features. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I have not heard or read much research dealing with how the mind and this type of research relates to that particular period. So... Tim, I'm afraid I'm going to have to plead ignorance on that one, but uh, I'll add it to the list of things to look up for my next book. Well, I, uh, I frequently come across different articles and, and things that discuss that, so when I do, I'll, I'll be sure to send them your way. No, please do. It, it's just, to me, it, it's amazing that poltergeist activity is some of the oldest ghost stories that people tell, is these unseen spirits, these unseen whatever that caused all these problems and to find out over the last you know 50 or so years that it could be something that human beings are causing on their own uh it's it was almost rapid fire how quickly that became the accepted explanation in the paranormal field that that's interesting i um i wish i had some profound statement i could make about it It, uh well just the fact that you know it's uh, it's it's a theory is uh, impressive enough to me that you know that we we've made those kind of leaps. But I guess now, if you start putting the scientific explanation on a lot of uh, ghosts, a lot of these abilities, uh, it does, in some people's minds, deaden that spiritual connection, where it's your ELF that causes your ghost to appear later, and not your soul being trapped behind. Well. You know, something I would like to point out is the science behind uh, electromagnetic frequencies and electromagnetic radiation 
is such that does not limit these radio waves to just the Earth. Uh, they, they really go beyond just being Earth-bound, because being Earth-bound is certainly not the case. There have been studies in quantum physics and uh, elsewhere that have shown all sorts of just wildly bizarre conclusions to experiments that suggest and point out that these radio waves are linking instantaneously, instantaneously one end of the universe to another. And it has caused Nobel Prize-winning physicists to make comments like impossible. Richard Feynman used the word impossible to describe light's behavior. And Niels Bohr, who's the guy who, uh, whose model of the atoms we all studied in school, to say that those people who are not shocked when they first come across quantum physics could not possibly have understood it. So the, the science behind this electromagnetic radiation does not limit this type of communication to just the Earth. It's really from one end of the universe to another. So that really opens up a whole spectrum of when we're getting this type of feedback from our brains and when we're emitting this type of radiation into outer space, whether we're not interacting not only with other human beings, but when I talk about spirits, I'm talking, uh, you know, God, uh, dead spirits, perhaps even aliens at this point, uh, because I do believe aliens are out there. I don't think we could possibly be alone in this vast enormous universe that uh, that we inhabit. So uh, I did just want to point that out. So many of these, uh, you know, the, the radiation inputs that we're getting through our brains, as well as the emissions, are not being limited to the Earth. They're basically universal. Well, I just I do want to just throw this out there. Uh, stepping back a second, our content director, Chris Balzano, mentions in the chat room that... Uh, for more answers to what I was talking about, and I'm definitely going to check it out, he mentions uh, pbs.org slash frontline and watching the special Inside the Teenage Brain. So that, that sounds excellent. As opposed to the movie that Matt Costa was watching earlier, Inside the Teenage Pants. Hi-oh. All right. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, when when discussing this idea of light, light is so associated with so much of the paranormal phenomena that we see, anomalous lights in photographs, weird lights that are seen at certain locations, uh, lights in the sky that are you know, believed to be UFOs. Yes. It, yes. it can't be coincidence that, uh, it, it, that light is associated with all different forms of paranormal activity or even the absence thereof. Uh, I, I agree. I agree completely. I, you know, all these electromagnetic frequencies are basically light. And the fact that when some people die, relatives think they see light arising from the body. Uh, when certain people see auras around people, it's in the form of, of light. Now, we are talking visible light, but uh, I think that's part of the problem that you are challenged with in your field is being able to detect and measure these forms of non-visible light in the you know, in the form of various uh, electromagnetic frequencies. So, yeah, I, I think light is the cornerstone of uh, of the spirit world and ghosts, and you name it. It, it explains so much. 
Well, I don't, I don't want to get off on a, on a rant here, and, and this is a discussion we can have another time, but I will tell you another big problem in our field is that a lot of investigators will hear something about what you're discussing, and they they will look into this idea of measuring the electromagnetic field. They will look into the idea of quantum physics, and they will have such a rudimentary understanding of it, but then will immediately go and try and to apply it in the field. And... Uh, Paranormal investigation is pretty much the only science where the common person that participates in it is often more out there in the field trying to to put the stuff to use before they're actually learning about it in the classroom or in the laboratory. Well, exactly, and and you know as well as I do all the, I mean, the electromagnetic spectrum is so vast, and how do we know what instruments or what frequency to tune into to detect these spirits. Do you, do you want to know the answer to that, at least in our end of things? Yes. We know because it's what it's what device we saw them use on a paranormal television show. Unfortunately, that's pretty much how it goes in this yes. field for, for a majority of people. Well, well and, th- and that may be correct for some spirits, but, you, you know, they may be missing out on all the other spirits that are detectable by other frequencies. That's why there's so many great people that are doing work uh, in the field developing these new devices and are going beyond just the idea of modifying, you know, something that was put to use in a different scientific environment, and they're creating uh, tools just for the idea of measuring the paranormal. Life is good. (laughs) I really wish our science advisor, Matt Moniz, had been here tonight uh, to to discuss things with you because he is a, a chemist by trade, and he's basically well versed in many areas of science, and he's been doing it for—he's uh, been doing that for just as long as he's been investigating the paranormal. And I know that you guys would be kindred spirits with one another. Well, Tim, I've loved your questions. I thought they've just been spot on. So uh, you've got no problem from me. Well, thank you, and and hopefully uh, we can have you back in the future to discuss a variety of other paranormal phenomena and how it relates to this idea of consciousness, because. Uh, and you said you're already, you know, putting plans together for another book, and and please keep us up to date with everything because, it to me, we can sit here and talk about uh, how to prove the paranormal over and over again, uh, but what you've helped us do is to help us to understand why the paranormal is, and we need to have more of that discussion in this field. I agree, and uh, Tim, it's been a pleasure to be on your show, and the problem with me is. It's hard to get me to shut up, so having me talk on a subject is never a problem. <laughs> I thought this went fine. Yeah, you know, I, I like to have a conversation with people. I don't like the idea of interviews, and to me the best conversations are the ones where I don't say anything at all and I just listen. So, Well, I appreciate that, and I'm sure your, uh, other, your other guests appreciate it as well. Well, we'll definitely be in touch and uh, keep us up to date on the progress of the next book. And anything we can do to help in the field, we'd be more than glad to. Oh, thank you. I may take you up on that. Excellent. All right. He is T. Lee Bauman, M.D., and the book is Matter to Mind to Consciousness, Anatomy of the ELF. And we mentioned that it's available on SpookySouthCoast.com as well as Amazon.com. And, Lee, do you have a website? Uh, I do. It's uh, www.google.com forward slash Profiles forward slash T Lee Bauman, and that's B A U M A N N two N's at the end. 
Excellent. And uh, if Chris Balzano did his job right, it's linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. And actually, I think I saw it today, so yes. Beautiful. And he's typing in the chat room that yes, he did. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Lee. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Tim. Thank right. you. Enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Uh, again, you can get the book on SpookySouthCoast.com, too, as well, right in the store. Uh, also, Ghost of the South Coast is up there. So I noticed that you made it the first book there, Matt Cost, so thank you very much for that. <laughs> You know, because it would have been embarrassing if people had to go through 15 pages to get to the, the host of the show's book. All right, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we will check in with Matt Moniz, uh, who is going to fill us in about an upcoming Halloween-related event uh, taking place out in Gardner, Mass. So a real quick break. We'll be right back to wrap up the show here on Spooky South Coast. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down, when you're strained. Faces come out of the rain when you're strained. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. And I just want to throw out there real quick, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, there's some new articles up. There's uh, great new content up there. And I just want to say thank you to Chris Balzano, our content director. Uh, he was the one that brought Lee to my attention and, and booked him for the show. And he's been doing a great job since he uh, came on board in that capacity of, of bringing, and I was saying in the chair here, bringing us back to the essence of what Spooky South Coast should be. I think we got bogged down for quite a while and, and – a lot of the same topics and a lot of the same discussions and a lot of the same guests. And now we're really getting back into shows where we're coming in here and we're walking out of here feeling like we learned something. And we went from being a show where we said, eh, you know, I don't care if anybody even listened to that show. I learned a lot and I had a great time doing the show. Uh, we got to the point where we were more worried about other things. And now we can get back to the point where, hey, if we can just come in here and learn something, then it was a great night. So uh, thank Thank you, Chris, for that, and I just want to say thank you for all the great work that you've done, and of course, naturally, the check is in the mail. Just, it's a whole lot of zeros, and no other integers there. So, all right, well, why don't we go to the phones and talk with science advisor Matt Moniz, who was uh, out there in Gardner, Mass. tonight. So, Matt, why don't you tell everybody briefly uh, just what was going on tonight? Uh, we were doing an investigation and uh, shot a quick episode of 30 Odd Minutes and uh, got updated from the homeowners about recent activity. It was uh, definitely a fun night. Uh, Tom Diagostino was there uh, as well, helping investigating and sharing some of the evidence he got on his last visit. And uh, he got a camera moved. Not only did he have the camera moved, he had another camera trained on that camera, and that recorded the movement of the other camera. So that was uh, pretty interesting to 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 watch that reveal. Uh, we also uh, definitely enjoyed hearing the new activity of a cuckoo clock being heard, and there is no cuckoo clock in the house, but yet in review of old photographs and stuff of the uh, place with the previous owner, there is a cuckoo clock in that exact same spot where they had heard it. But it was interesting to see, you know, it on a video that they had not noticed before. But isn't it also common that usually when you talk, that cuckoo noise is made somewhere, too? 
Yeah, usually. <laughs> so, uh, so this this place, uh, I, I guess they've got something planned for for the Halloween holiday. Yes, it does. Uh, they're they're going to be um, having uh, on the thirtieth. Uh, Silent Voices Paranormal will be presenting a Halloween at the Victorian, and uh, Edward and Lillian are basically uh, going to be opening up their home for a certain amount of people. That uh, if they're able to get there the, for forty-five bucks, they get to uh, hang out for the night in the house on Halloween night. So there you go. And then, how can people uh, get involved with this? Um. Uh, what I'll do is I'll get a hold of all of the appropriate information, and we'll put a link up on Spooky. How does that sound? Okay. We all will. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll get the information out to people one way or another. And uh, now, when uh, when they pay the forty five dollars, though, they're not getting the awesome buffet that's being promised at Paranite two thousand ten for forty five dollars, though. No. Uh, we can't tell you what it is yet because Jeannie hasn't told us. She just said it's going to be awesome. Okay. So uh, and. Uh, we you know we spent the night talking about consciousness uh, with Dr. T. Lee Bauman, and I, I really would like you, if you get a chance, Moni, to, to download this show and give it a listen because I think that you're going to really be fascinated with some of the discussions that we had with Lee, and you're going to say that's the same kind of stuff I've been looking into for years. So, okay, it's uh, it was it was a great discussion, and uh, I I wish you had been here for it, but you know Lee said I did an okay job, so he's he's the doctor. I have faith in your ability, Tim. Oh, you're a you. smart man. Thank you. Don't let that get around. <laughs> I've got to keep up the character here. All right, All ladies. Right, well, we will talk to you next week. And uh, for now, you know, we just hope that uh, you make it back all the way there. It's like a two-hour drive, isn't it? Yeah, it's a long drive, but it's worth it. All it's right. definitely worth it. We'll have a safe drive back, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Have a good night. All right. Take it easy. Well, that about does it for tonight's show. Uh, we want to thank Dr. T. Lee Bauman for joining us. Again, the book is Matter to Mind to Consciousness. You can get it on SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also get Ghosts of the South Coast on SpookySouthCoast.com. And go to the website there. Click on the Ghosts of the South Coast little button in the top corner, and you can see where all the upcoming book signings are going to be. Uh, come out. Get a copy. Even if you don't, come out. Say hi. Say that you listen to the show. Say you're a big fan. And uh, maybe you can get a bumper sticker out of me because I've been bringing some of the last ones with me. Uh, until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular.